Seven weeks ago in Pastor Joel's message that launched our Does the Bible Really Say That series, he talked about 70s music being played many years ago out of my 1970 Pontiac GTO, and in fact, he is correct about that. And so I thought today, let's start this final message in this series with lyrics from a 70s song called Money by Pink Floyd, since we're talking about money. It goes this way, money, get away. You get a good job with good pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Now, students, that's old language for it's fun. That's all that means, okay? Uh, grab the cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four-star car four daydream. Think I'll buy a football team. And then in verse 3 of that song, they quote the Bible, or so they think. And they say, money, so they say, is the root of all evil today. Does the Bible really say money is the root of all evil there's another 70s song by the OJs called For the Love of Money, made popular as the intro music for the uh, TV series The Apprentice uh, some years ago, contains these lyrics, for the love of money, people will steal from their mother. For the love of money, people will rob from their brother. For the love of money, people will, uh, people will lie. Lord, they will cheat. For the love of money, people don't care who they hurt or beat. And then the same misquote in that song, I know money is the root of all evil. Well, let's see what the Bible actually says. And you've guessed it. Most of you know. And our text this morning we're going to be keeping, uh, coming back to is 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. I encourage you on your own time to take and read that uh, chapter in its entirety at some point maybe today as you reflect upon some of what might be uh, said in this message 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not, not the sole root even, right? But a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves, doesn't sound good, does it? Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Doesn't sound fun even with the stern warning about what the money or the love of money can result in, we must understand that the Bible doesn't attach a moral character to money itself. It's neither good nor evil. In the hands of a good person, we know it can be used to feed and clothe the underprivileged. In the hands of a greedy person, money can be used to oppress and abuse others. The Bible doesn't say that having money, even having a lot of money, is a sin. It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that the business you own shouldn't make money. However, it does matter how we use our money and what place we allow it to occupy in our heart, right? So it's, it's not a sin to possess money, but the sin is if our money possesses us, and we understand the, the, the clear difference there. The message paraphrase of 1 Timothy 6, 10 amplifies what Paul is saying here. It goes this way, lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it 
bitterly ever after. And I've seen that play out in some people's lives as, as you likely have as well. In light of this verse, we need to assess if there is any seed of the love of money in our hearts. It's an important exercise for the serious Christ follower because our culture, we know this, our culture constantly works hard at creating in us this insatiable desire for more. Doesn't it? Does a pretty good job sometimes at cultivating that. So here are some evaluation questions I want to give you to see if our heart is enamored with riches. A few questions. Do I find myself struggling with envy toward those who have more money than me? Think about that. Do I often dream about winning the lottery? Oh, come on, we can spiritualize that. Lord, I'll tithe. I'll give a whopping 25%, Leanne, to the faith expansion. If God, you'll just bless me with those millions. <laughs> I don't know. I've never done that. Don't think I have. Am I resentful during times in my life when money is scarce? How's my, how's my heart in those times? Am I willing to compromise in what I know is right to acquire more? Hmm. Do I go into debt to get newer, bigger, better? Debt, no problem. That's a good way in. Do I put family relationships at risk by the pursuit of finances or possessions? It's just maybe, maybe for some of you, a helpful question or two in that mix. In 1 Timothy 6, let's back up one verse and see a caution from God about desiring riches. If, if love of money grips us, there's a world of terrible possibilities. 1 Timothy 6, 9, but those who desire to be rich in, uh, uh, sorry, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, that's an odd word. It's not a common word that we use, perdition, but it just simply means into absolute spiritual ruin. That's where it, that's where it ends, ends up. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced, them, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Loving money, loving money leads to outcomes in life that are not pretty, much less God-honoring. I was pleasantly surprised that University of California Berkeley wrote an article entitled How Money Changes the Way You Think and Feel with the subheading reading, Research is Uncovering How Wealth Impacts Our Sense of Morality, Our Relationships with Others, and Our Mental Health. It points out that, the, that, that several studies have shown that wealth, this is how they put it, and I'm going to tweak it a bit, but they put it this way, that wealth may be at odds with empathy and compassion. May be at odds. Well, I think for the person with the biblical understanding, it's not money that results in a lack of compassion in people, but rather the love of money. And so again, it's a, it's a heart issue, not a money issue. 
Here's a list of possible outcomes when we allow the love of money to consume us. And again, just to be clear, I'm saying it again, repeated, this is not a list of outcomes for someone who has been blessed by God and has been trusted. God knows he can trust some of you with great wealth and way to go. And and others might look at you and say, well, oh, that must be nice. Actually, I've known enough wealthy, very wealthy people uh, close enough to hear their story, the, the fact that it's, it can be a, a huge burden. Because when you recognize the, 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 the uh, God-honoring way to manage, to steward what God has blessed you with, that, that's huge. Don't be too quick to, 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 to envy that. I mean, that's another sermon on itself, right, envy? Um, but here's a list of possible outcomes, love of money, when it consumes us. Um, potential dangers. The love of money will likely result in a cycle, a repeated cycle of desire, overspending, debt, struggle. Put that on repeat. Desire, overspending, debt, Struggle. Some of you have lived that. The love of money brings the danger that you can gain in your bank account but lose your family as you become an absent spouse or an absent parent in the pursuit of more money. And if you have kids, they'll likely pick up the priorities that they see you model. You know that. Loving money often leads to uh, the compromise of character in the pursuit of more. The love of money can foster various addictions. Addiction to spending, of course. Addiction to uh, image management. Addiction to work. Or any number of addictions. And it's not money's fault. It's a, it's a misdirected heart that will cause you to end up there. And money will then provide even greater opportunity to fulfill a polluted heart's desires. The love of money will ultimately leave you empty, empty, because you're pursuing that which was never intended to fulfill you. And we lose what we think money will give us by pursuing it above all else. Many are the stories like that in life. And again, our culture is just so set on convincing us that the only way to be happy is to have more, bigger, better, newer of everything. So how do we ensure with with bombarding messages like that, how do we ensure that love of money does not get its claws into our hearts? Well, if we believe in the power of God to bring change, then it's as basic as, now notice I didn't say as easy as, but it's as basic as asking God to help cultivate in us at least three characteristics, and these won't be new to most of you, but they're important. As a matter of fact, they're so simple that we could miss them. We could let them slip away. Don't think about these. Three characteristics in our hearts Being intentional about nurturing these characteristics will keep love for money at bay and in its rightful place. 
First, the characteristic of contentment. No surprise, contentment. John D. Rockefeller, who died in 1937, widely considered the wealthiest American of all time, was said that he was asked the question, many of you have heard this before, how much money is enough? What was his answer? Just a little more. Just a little more. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6, but starting three verses earlier than where we read before. Verse 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. I like the way that's phrased. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Food, clothing. Okay, we live in Edmonton. Let's add shelter. <laughs> right? Wow. With these we shall be content. The, the just a little more attitude is not the way to living in contentment. And it's not about how much or how little money you have. Again, I say it. You can be rich or you can be poor and still be consumed by the love of money. Or you can be rich or you can be poor and live free from the love of money and be content. The issue is not your economic status. It's about whether or not you've come to believe the lie that the more you have, the happier and the more content you'll be. Wise man Solomon said it well in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. What a, what a sad way to go through life. Our culture works hard, as I said already, to make us feel like, well, like our, our contentment and our, and our worth as a person is based on our level of income. Billboards, TV and pop-up ads uh, constantly push the message that your, your self-worth is based on your net worth. And that's a lie. Because living on a constant pursuit of money and possessions is, is an exhausting, uh, inwardly depleting way to live, actually. True contentment is not based on what we possess. Rather, it's rooted in understanding whose we are and who we belong to. It's rooted in our relationship with Jesus and all that we have and are in him. And contentment is possible. Because God will provide everything we need in every way to any degree that we need it. And he knows best. Hebrews 13.5 states it simply in the New Testament where it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And like some of you who've traveled the world, you've seen this played out in cultures and societies where in comparison to what we have, it's mind-blowing. It's very challenging. And I've been challenged by it in the lives of believers who've lived this out in, in cultures where they have, comparatively to us, nothing. 
Loving money will keep us from being content, but choosing an attitude of contentment will keep us free from, excuse me, from the love of money. And it's a choice. But an important part of the equation is simultaneously choosing to find our satisfaction in God as we cultivate that heart posture of contentment and it will grow in us. You say, how do I do that? Well, one of the key things is, let's call it, let's call it messaging. What messages are you most consistently allowing your eyes to see and your ears to hear? It's those messages that will settle in your heart and shape your perspective. So let those messages be God's truth. And there's enough scripture verses in this message for you to take and begin to memorize and shape your thinking through biblical memorization. Take God's word in and it will, it will reshape your heart and your thinking. Biblical messaging, so, so important. Second cousin, second cousin to contentment is gratefulness. First Thessalonians 5, be thankful in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You, you want to know God's will for your life? Let's, let, we can start here. It's growing a heart of gratitude. It's God's will for you, for me. Gratefulness is a characteristic that is also a choice. And making the daily choice, commitment really, to be grateful, to live grateful as a grateful person will help to keep you from the love of money settling in your heart. So here's a little idea. I'm inviting you to join Miriam and I in a gratefulness journal that we're going to be starting tomorrow. Writing one sentence about something that we're grateful for. One thing, no matter how small it may be, every day for the next 30 days in a row. And then we'll have something to to review and to bolster that attitude of gratefulness. I'm asking you to join Miriam and I in this little discipline, this little journey. In Survival Guide for the Soul, author Ken Shigematsu writes about this type of practice. He talks about actually a Harvard professor, psychologist, who based on a study they did that suggests that we can train our brains to become more grateful by, by setting aside five minutes a day for practicing gratitude. And in this study, they asked participants to write down three points of thanksgiving every day for just one week. That's all. Did not have to be big things, just specific things like, you know, I'm thankful for that delicious Thai dinner I enjoyed last night, or I'm thankful that my daughter gave me a hug today. Just whatever it is, simple things. And the Harvard researchers found that those who practiced gratitude were happier and less depressed. Remarkably, after three months, the participants who had been a part of this one-week experiment were still more joyful and content. The researchers observed that the simple practice of of writing down what people were thankful for kind of primed their minds to consistently search for the good in their lives. Again, back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 reminds us that we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. 
So rather than spending our life chasing what we didn't start out with and can't take with us, it makes more sense to choose to live in deep gratitude every day for what God provides for us, physically, spiritually, emotionally, materially. There's just much that we're blessed with. Contentment, gratefulness, and then thirdly, generosity. My, my friends, these, these three characteristics, contentment, gratefulness, generosity, woven together like a strong uh, three-strand support rope, just will create such great strength in living free from the love of money. They really will. Dr. Paul Maxwell is referred to as a content strategist with uh, an organization, tithe.ly, and he simply writes, giving to the gospel work through the local church is God's way of keeping a check on our love of money. Many have also followed John Wesley's advice, make as much money as you can, give as much money as you can. Generous giving is God's antidote against the love of money disease taking root in our hearts. And again, back to our text, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, arrogant, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works. You want to be rich? Rich in good works. Ready to give, willing to share. Did you catch it? God wants us to be rich in good works. So in conclusion today, let's, let's choose and commit to commitment, or sorry, contentment, gratefulness, and generosity. It's the biblical path to foster freedom from the love of money in our hearts and lives. And I, I, want, I want that. I want that constantly as I continue through life. And I, I hope you do as well. And so in response this morning, you'll see some practical action steps that we'll go through on the screen to grow these characteristics in our life of contentment, gratefulness, and generosity to keep the love of money at bay. You've got to be intentional about this, you know. And so I want us to look uh, briefly at these five action steps, um, and then we're going to repeat them and spend about 15 seconds on each. And if you want to take a screenshot, a picture of, of one of them, or take notes down of the action step or action steps that you feel the Lord would want you to act on in this, in response to this message today. So uh, thanks, Kier. Slide 27. I want you to write a prayer of confession to God for any discontent in your life. Ask him to help you possess and display any attitude of contentment in every area of your life. Secondly, memorize scripture so that uh, words from God's word will come to your mind in times when the love of money starts to evidence itself in your heart. And then this 30-day um, gratefulness journal that I've invited you to join with Miriam and I in doing. And then fourthly, give more financially to God's work and view your giving every time as deep and meaningful worship to God. 
And then fifthly, push the pause button on a financial decision that you're about to make until you've, you know you've spent time in prayer and sensed the, the, the leading, the prompting of the Holy Spirit in what to do in that regard, okay? I might throw a curveball in some of your families right now. I don't know, but I encourage you to consider that. So, next couple minutes, I want you to commit, along with myself, the action step or action steps of these five, and the Holy Spirit might bring a different one to your mind. That's cool too. Let him do that. Ask him. It's something you're going to do and, and just commit it to God in prayer as you, as you view each of these again in just a moment. We're going to park on each one for about 15 seconds in quiet, asking the Holy Spirit, you know, is this something you want me to do? Is this something you want me to do? Maybe it's all five. Maybe it's more. That's between you and God in these moments as we conclude right now. So, slide 32. Prayer of confession. slide. Maybe it has to do with scripture memory. Next slide, about giving financially. And next slide. About seeking God's direction for every financial decision that we make in our families, eh? Important. Father, I thank you for each one who has opened their heart to your word today in this gathering or those engaging online right now. God, speak to us. So many of us, we just want your direction in this area of our life because money can be all, so all-consuming. We want to honor you. We want to follow you. We want your will to be done in this whole area of our life, and we dedicate it to you now. We de dedicate ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name. 
Lord, if there's any who would in this moment want to accept Christ as their Savior, as the Lord of their life, as the leader, as their forgiver, I pray in this moment they would recognize that they could just call out to you and say, God, save me. God, make me your child by your grace. I trust in Jesus to forgive me and to lead my life from this day forward. I thank you for that gift of eternal salvation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.